Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous Special Focus Recovery from Relapse Meeting. Today is Tuesday, the 29th of March, 2022. And we're absolutely delighted to have our speaker, Sam M., with us today. Sam is from Nottingham and now living in Manchester. And Sam came into OA in January 2014. So now it's over to Sam to share her experience, strength, and hope. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a compulsive overeater. Paul, thank you so much for the introduction. And um, I'm using the pronouns they, them today, just to let everybody know um, I'm uh, gender fluid. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking me to, to speak today. Um, so this time in OA, I um, have just celebrated eight years of recovery this time around. Um, but I actually came to OA before eight years and thought I got recovery and thought I left and, and relapsed and then came back. And I'll talk to you about that. And um, before I do, I just want to share um, a picture of me when I was bigger and just qualify so uh, let me just share this, if you can see that. So my weight release um, in that time has been about 70 pounds, um, which is five stone and 32, around about 32 kilos. That is not a picture of me at my biggest. I couldn't find a picture at me with me at my biggest because I refuse to have photographs taken. Um, I have always been a compulsive overeater. I'm a casual overeater. I'm a binge eater, I would graze, and I would think about food from the moment that I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. And my eating started from a really young age. And actually, I'm gonna say this, this might be controversial, but food is not a problem for me. It's never been a problem for me. Food was my solution. Life was a problem for me. And I didn't know how to cope with life. And I used food to deal with stuff. And I don't regret that at all. I don't regret that at all. Um, and I think the reason that I'm still alive today is because I'm a compulsive overeater. So I grew up in a really turbulent, violent, um, challenging home. Um, I grew up in poverty. Uh, my father, my biological father was in and out of prison and he was physically violent. Um, my mum gave birth to me when she was 17 and never had enough money to feed us both. So what she would do is she would prepare a meal and I would eat that meal. And if I left any of that meal, she would then eat that meal. So my mum was painfully, painfully underway when I was a child. And when it got to the point where I was probably four or five and, and we started, my mum started working part time and there, there was more money coming into the home what happened is food equaled love. So what my mum didn't want us to go without, she wanted to feed us up and the oldest of three. And food would be celebration. Food would be given to us if we'd hurt ourselves or injured ourselves or we were upset or there was emotional turmoil. And there was, you know, there was so much of that. We moved around a lot when I was a child. I went to lots of different schools. There was lots of challenges and, and issues in my childhood. And it was a really turbulent time. So using food was a way that I soothed my emotions. And I wasn't overweight as a child. And I got to about the age of 15 and I thought that I was overweight and I discovered diets 
And at the age of 15, I started meal replacement shakes. And the meal replacement shakes, I was supposed to mix this powder with milk and I mixed the powder with water. And I did that breakfast and lunch and then had a family meal in the evening um, after I finished school and I lost weight and people noticed. And um, what started at the age of 15 was this incredible cycle of binging, extreme binging, and then desperately trying to diet to lose the weight. And I was quite successful at diet. So I would diet for maybe three to six months and I would lose some weight and people would notice. But every single diet I've ever done in my life says you can go back to eating certain foods in moderation. And I am a compulsive overeater. And just like an alcoholic that can't drink alcohol, but they can drink tea or coffee or water, there are certain foods and certain ingredients and textures of food that if I put them in my body, it causes an uncontrollable craving for more. I can't stop. I can't stop until it's all gone or until I physically feel sick. And I used to joke that I was a failed bulimic, which is an awful thing to say about myself because I could binge, but I could never make myself throw up. I could, ne I could never do that. And I went on some really crazy, crazy extreme diets. Um, at one point, I didn't eat um, for two weeks. I drank water for two weeks and didn't eat for two weeks. And throughout the whole time of doing these crazy diets, I was obsessing about the food. So I was planning what I was then going to have when I wasn't on a diet anymore. And my husband and I have been together for 15, 15, gosh, 18 years, 19 years, a long time. Coming up to 20 years, I think, next year. So we've been together for a really long time. And so he's seen these issues with me. He's seen my problems around food. And he's seen this bizarre and extreme dieting and then just binge eating. And I remember being on a juice diet and I, I decided that juicing fruit somehow wasn't a good thing. So I was juicing vegetables and I'd ran out of vegetables to juice and I was juicing onions. And I remember him coming into the kitchen and being like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is insanity. And I was, I was so defensive and aggressive and angry and how dare you interfere with my dieting and it's perfectly okay and normal and natural to drink onion juice and he said you're, you're gonna throw up you're gonna vomit and I was I said no I, of course I won't and I drank this onion juice and I just threw up involuntary threw up all over the floor and he just he just looked at me in in like, I don't know, like shock, horror. And he said, you're, you're cleaning that up. He just walked out. And then I cleaned up all of this sick. I did some really awful extreme things to my body. And my mum is an alcoholic and she actually became an alcoholic a bit later on in my life when I was a teenager. Um, I come from a long line, <laughs> I come from a long line of alcoholics and drug addicts and um, people that have got issues with substances and um she became an alcoholic and she doesn't mind me sharing about this she's um she's actually celebrating um 12 years of recovery tomorrow um so it's her birthday tomorrow her, her, her birthday tomorrow she doesn't mind me talking about this but my mum would um take super strength lager and and drink it in secret and then hide the cans and I would do the same with food 
So I would buy like a ginormous cake or huge quantities of, of my trigger foods and I would binge eat them in secret and then I would hide the wrappers and or hide half empty things around my house. And I would eat pretty normally in front of friends and other people. But when I was on my own or, or in secret, I would just eat those vast, vast quantities of food. And it was a, a normal day for me would be waking up and nibbling on whatever I could eat in the kitchen, then sitting down and having breakfast, then picking food while, while I was getting ready for work. Then I would get in my car and I would eat something in my car on the way to work. And then I would, in the office, make myself some breakfast as if it was the first breakfast of the day. And then usually I would have taken lunch with me. So I would eat lunch in the office, but then I would go out to McDonald's or some takeaway and eat there and then get sweet stuff and bring that back into the office and then I'd be hiding it in my bottom drawer in my desk and picking so nobody really ever saw the quantities of food that I ate um, and I guess my weight was never like massively excessive because I was able to diet and reduce it and and then I would binge and then go up again and that was my life from the age of 15 um, up until my late 30s I was either gaining weight or I was losing weight I had multiple different sizes of clothes and I absolutely hated myself and I think that's really important to say that I thought that I was an awful horrible shocking disgusting human being I felt like I was just dark in my dark and sticky and damp in it's the core of my soul and that if anybody knew that about me knew the real me that I would be disowned and I say that because today from this program I sit here with self-compassion and with self-love and with a lot of love for my body and the shit that I've put it through a lot of love and compassion and I never ever thought I would say that um so I um I came to OA I saw the these the, the my mum and the issues that my mum had with alcohol and I recognized that my issues were the same with food and uh, I didn't know where OA existed, so I decided that I was going to create my own OA. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to call it, Ego no. Run Riot. And I started doing some searches on what I was going to call this 12-step fellowship for food, and I discovered that OA already exists. And I came to my first meeting, a face-to-face -face meeting, and I sat in the room with four or five other people, and I just cried the whole way through because for the first time in my entire life people shared about the stuff that I've done people shared about eating sucking the chocolate off dog biscuits which is something that I've done and eating food from the trash and lying and stealing and all of that stuff and I really felt at home and so I came to her and that must have been I don't know probably about 10 years ago and I um and I went to one OA meeting a week which was the only meeting in the city that I lived in at the time and um, I bought all the literature and I read all the literature I was very diligent in reading literature and I worked the tools but not the steps I didn't get a sponsor I didn't work the steps I dieted with group support and I thought that was recovery. And that's why I'm speaking today, because I thought that was recovery. And I thought when I left OA, that was my relapse. But what I realized actually is, I don't know if that was ever recovery. I don't think I ever had recovery the first time around. I'd stopped engaging in my crazy food behaviors. I was eating my planned meals and I was committing those meals to somebody. 
and I was doing my outreach calls and I was going to this one meeting a week and I didn't I, I even went and did like some OA workshops but I didn't have a sponsor and I wasn't working the steps and the people in that meeting said to me when you put the food down all your emotions will come up and all the reasons why you overeat will come up and I thought that is a crock of shit <laughs> I was I'm already an emotional person. I already feel my emotions. I already cry all the time. There is, you know, that's not going to happen to me. And I don't need to work the steps. In fact, I'd, I'd read the steps and I'd crossed quite a lot of them out because I didn't like all of them. So I decided that when I eventually got a sponsor, I was only going to work maybe like four steps or five. <laughs> um, that's clearly going to work for me, clearly. So I think I probably did step one and two by myself, but I never really got past that. Um, and I hear people talking about the step one, two, three limbo, doing steps one, two, and three, leaving, relapsing, going back into the food, coming back, doing one, two, three, going back out again, coming back. Um, and I think that would have been my experience had I not got really, really desperate. So my, I put the food down, I worked the tools, <laughs> which doesn't give you recovery all of my emotions came up and I was I felt like a crazy person I was frazzled I was crying I was feeling shame I was feeling guilt I had all these like pains in my body um it was just awful and I decided at that point that OA didn't work and I left OA and the shameful thing about this is when I left I cut ties with everybody I didn't tell anybody that I was leaving I just left. I just never went back. I ignored all the messages that I got. I ignored the phone calls that I got. I just cut people out of my life. And I left OA, I think it was probably like March that I left. And I was getting married in October. And I bought this wedding dress that was massive. It's way too big. It was three sizes too big for me. It was a huge wedding dress. I, I bought it. It was pre-loved. It was a used wedding dress. I got a really good deal, bought this wedding dress and had decided that I was going to lose weight and be really tiny on my wedding day and that they would need to take loads of fabric <coughs> off this wedding dress. And I went and had a wedding dress fitting and they pinned the fabric at the side of the dress. They didn't cut it. And I said, cut the fabric get rid of the fabric I'm, I'm going to be tiny on my wedding day I'm going to I'm dieting and they didn't luckily they just they just tucked it in and pinned it and in that time that I was away from March to it was January the following year um I lost the ability to diet I couldn't diet I lost I completely lost the ability to restrict completely lost the ability to control my food in any meaningful way um, and I just got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where every time I went to try that wedding dress on they had to let out more fabric and I got married in Las Vegas myself and my husband it was great fun but I spent three weeks eating my way around America and eating these incredible supersized portions of food and I got to the point where I wasn't even hiding it anymore. I wasn't even, I couldn't hide it. I couldn't wait to eat the food. I was just gorging on this food. And things like I would, I would be asleep at night and I would wake up to food coming up the back of my throat and choking me in the night because I'd eaten such an excessive amount that my body couldn't hold it all in. 
in a huge amount. And I remember one time eating so much that I was, I threw up because it was too much. I hate throwing up. And I thought that was a great thing because I just came back to this buffet and just ate more. It, it was, it was insane. It was insanity. I had no control over it at all. As soon as I took that first compulsive bite, I was, I was off. And when I wasn't eating, I was thinking about eating. I was planning what to eat. I was obsessing about eating and I hated myself and I hated my body. And when we came back from three weeks in America, I am, um, had the worst Christmas of my life. And I got to the point where I just wanted to die. And I, I really believed at that point in my life that, uh, and I, I truly, truly felt this in my body, that I would get to the point in my life where I couldn't get out of my bed, where I couldn't move, where I was bed bound because I was so big. And I'd accepted that as my fate. You know, we, t- we talk about um, alcoholism being um, a killer disease. This, this is such a terrible addiction, food. It's such a slow killer. And I, I fully expected that was going to happen. And I was thinking about crashing my car. And I was thinking, how can I injure myself enough that I will be in hospital and somebody else can feed me? Because I just can't trust myself around the food. Um, it was a really dark place to be in. And in the January eight years ago I came back to LA and I was was so ashamed of going back to meeting that I just ghosted that I actually went I traveled three hours in my car and drove down to London and went to a meeting in London and I arrived late and I sat at the back and I cried the whole way through and I left a bit early so nobody would talk to me but I knew I knew what I needed to do and I got a sponsor and I started working the steps. And I should say, I was, I was not a model sponsee. <laughs> I was not a model sponsee. Um, I would, um, I would, my, my sponsor was very focused on the steps and working the steps through the big book. Um, and she also used Laurie C's big book study, which um, I don't think is OA approved, but that's what she used. So I'm like, great, fine, that's, that's what we're doing. She would give me work to do and I would go missing for like two or three weeks. And my food was okay, but my head was a mess. You know, my emotions were a mess. And then I would send her a text message and contact her because I'd missed a call. And I would would be like, are you still my sponsor? You know, yes or no. And she said, are you willing to do the work? If you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to sponsor you. And slowly, slowly we worked through the steps. I really struggled at step three I really got stuck at step three and I think that was the point where I could have really easily left away and not come back and I see why people get stuck at that step so I grew up in a fiercely anti-religious household so to hear the word God used in 12-step fellowships um, was offensive to me at the time it's not now I use that word uh, I couldn't relate. I felt like um, there was it was a God squad or that it was some kind of cult. And getting to step three, I thought, I don't have any choice. I'm going to die. I'm going to die a slow, painful, horrendous, lonely death, or I'm going to need to like embrace God. Like that's the choice. So what's the choice going to be? I'm going to embrace God. So at step three, I um, accidentally took Holy Communion in a Catholic church. It was it was. It was not my intention. Um, I enrolled in a Buddhist course. Um, I went to a Sikh temple with a friend and all the time felt incredibly uncomfortable. 
incredibly uncomfortable. And then my sponsor at the time relapsed and I got a new sponsor. And my new sponsor said, where are you in steps? And I said, I'm at step three, but I, I, you know, I can't do this. How can I do this? I don't believe in God and I'm all these religions and, you know, what? And she told me something that I think made all the difference to my recovery. She said, imagine that there are three frogs sitting on a log and two of them make the decision to jump off. How many frogs are left? I one, of course, two jump off, one's left. And she said, no, three frogs are left. So I was like, this woman's nuts. She said, they made a decision to jump. They haven't jumped yet. And she told me that step three was just the decision. Step three is just a decision. And she told me that the 12th step is having had a spiritual, thank you, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, not a result, the result of the steps. That I would, at the end of step 12, I would have a spiritual awakening and I would have a relationship with a higher power. And so step three was just a decision to move forward with the steps and to do step four and to have my experience. And today I absolutely categorically believe that a higher power exists. Absolutely believe that a higher power exists. I've seen that power in my life. I've experienced that for myself. But I want to share a story that I heard early in my recovery about the difference between belief and trust. So I heard somebody speaking, saying, imagine that you're sitting in the circus, you're in the audience of a circus, you're sitting there, you're with your friends and family, you're having a nice time, and in walks this very tall, very confident looking man into the arena. And you're sitting there comfortable in the audience and you're wondering what he's going to do. And he starts climbing up these ladders and you realise that there's a tightrope at the top of the ladders, but there's no safety net. And you're sitting there and you think, you know, he's probably done this hundreds, if not thousands of times before. You know, he's safe. He's, 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 he's going to walk across this tightrope. And you realise he's got a wheelbarrow and he's going to push this wheelbarrow across a tightrope. And belief is sitting in the audience, feeling comfortable, observing, looking on and believing that he'll get to the other side. But trust is getting in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and that is like the analogy of my life. I don't, I believe in a higher power. I don't always trust, right? That is a work in progress for me. So over the last eight years in recovery, there is huge, huge amounts of things that have happened in my life. Um, I've dealt with infertility and not being able to have children. Um, I've lost jobs. I've been homeless. Um, I had a mental breakdown about three years ago. Uh, my youngest sister developed breast cancer at the age of 28. She was diagnosed a few weeks after her wedding day. She's okay now. Um, and my husband, um, his heart stopped and he had to be resuscitated and he has all manner of problems with his heart. And all of those things in my life, I have been held. The 12 steps don't promise that I'm not going to live a life <laughs> that's perfect that's you know that's that does isn't anything painful or a struggle or isn't you know it doesn't cause heartache I'm gonna live my life feeling all those things the 12 step just promises that I don't have to eat over it and today I have freedom from food obsession complete freedom from food obsession there is foods and textures of foods in my house right now that I don't eat that I don't go near and that it isn't a struggle for me and um, I think we're going to read the step 10 promises later 
it's not a struggle. I've, I've not sworn off. I'm not avoiding temptation. The problem has been removed. So I would call myself a recovered, but not cured, compulsive overeater. And I think, yeah, that's me. I'll leave it there. Thanks for letting me share.